Welcome to part three of this series that we're calling Road Trip, all right? It's the last part of it, so if you didn't like it, it's over, everybody. And if you did, you can go back and rewatch it. I don't know. It'll be good for you. But just a, a chance to have this closure for the series. And I always want the series to represent the season that we're going through. And so I told you, I love summer. I love this time of the year, even though it looks a little bit different, even though sometimes vacations get disrupted. Uh, sometimes everything looks a little bit different. I still love this time of the year. And I told you week one that this is the year of the road trip. All right, everybody. This is uh, just from judging from all of your vacations that you guys have taken. This is the year uh, to pile the family in the car and drive somewhere. Uh, and I know a lot of you, maybe things got disrupted, but you still managed to get a road trip in a one day, two day uh, getaway. And then we want to say to all of you who are on a trip right now watching online, uh, we envy you. We love you, but not so much this morning, all right? We love you wherever you are watching. I just want to welcome you uh, to church. But I want you to get the most out of series, and so I try to tie them in with the season that we go through. Uh, and so this series, Road Trip, we talked about in week one some of the indicators that it might be time uh, to take a road trip spiritually. It might be time to take a little bit of a break and try to reevaluate, because I think a lot of times the issue we run into, especially as Christians, is we'll take a time of break or a time of rest and we'll treat it as a time just to kind of recuperate and try to get ourselves back so we can re-enter our frantic-paced life and survive. We just treat it as like a, a breath we can take and then just try to redo everything that we've been doing and not realize that everything we've been doing is what got us to that place of exhaustion to begin with. And so we talked about in week one how times of rest really need to be times of reevaluation. The times of rest need to be times that we look at the things that we are doing. We reevaluate our, priority, our priorities. We begin to place God's priorities for our lives at the front. We begin to say, reevaluate, am I really running the race that he's called me to? And we kind of look at the frantic pace and we see what's the pace and the rhythm of life that God wants me to run. And so we talked about that week one. Week two, we answered the question of where the roadmap is going to come from, where our direction and our information comes from. We talked about God's word uh, in week two and how God in his word has given us the roadmap to get us to where he wants us to be. That it's, we talk about that a lot here at Victory, that God wants to take you from where you are to where he's called you to be. And we believe the Bible is the roadmap to do that. It is the one and all source of our information from God, that God has begun just to speak to us, that if you want to know God better, you get to know his word better. And so we talked about spending time in his word and spending time learning about the priorities and the things that he's called us to. And so if you missed either of those, you can jump online uh, and watch them. Hopefully it'll bless your life. This week, I want to talk to you about one of the most important decisions that you'll make on the road trip. And that is simply who is in the car, who goes along on the journey, because road trips can be a blast. They can be really fun no matter how long they are. They can be an incredible trip, an incredible time. But all it takes is one wrong person to make the trip miserable. Come on, somebody. Everybody remembers that college friend that you're not, you know, you're happy you're not friends with anymore, that you, you're happy it's still in that season. But road trips, who is in the car will make or break the trip. And let me say it this way, that who is in the car, especially in the context of our series, will make or break your future. That who you decide comes along for the trip could either make the future or derail your future. We say this all the time here at Victory, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I'll show you where you're headed. Show me those that you've chosen to speak influence into your life, and I can almost pinpoint where you're going to end up in 10 years. And so I want to talk to you this morning about that decision, because who we have in our lives is important. It's very, very, because if you've ever heard me speak, you know I believe that God has a purpose for every one of you. It's something I believe so deeply inside of me that God has something incredible for every person to do for the kingdom. 
that he has a plan for your life, that he has something for you to do, but you'll never get there on your own. And so relationships, the Bible teaches, play such an important role in who we are, in shaping our lives, in helping us to accomplish the dreams God has placed in our own hearts. And so I want to talk just for a few minutes as we end the series about choosing those influencers, about choosing who you allow to speak into your life. And so 1 Samuel 14, 1 Samuel 14 is where we're going to hang out today. One of my favorite things in the world is to look at a story in the Bible and pull truths from it because I believe God's word is incredibly practical. I believe God's word can speak to us on Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday mornings. And so I want to look at this story, and it's one of my favorites in Scripture because it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, And so I'll set the stage for it, and then we'll jump into it, all right? The children of Israel are in this kind of awkward moment of their history. Uh, They're in this, this kind of growing pains as a country because up until this point, God would speak to the prophets, and then the prophets would lead the nation. And so in effect, God was leading the children of Israel by speaking his word to them. And so he would come and say, you need to do this or you need to go here. And the prophets would relay that message. Well, the children of Israel wanted to feel more like the world. They came to God and the prophet and they said, we we think this is great, but we want to look more like the countries around us. We don't want to feel out of place. And they said, give us a king so we can be like the other countries around us. And so Samuel speaks to God and says, this is what the children of Israel have asked. And God's like, you don't really want that, but I'll give it to you anyway. Oftentimes, this is a temptation, by the way, in our Christian walk, that it's a lot of times we want to look like the world. We want to act like the world. We want to value things like the world does. And so this is a problem for the children of Israel as well. And so God says, I'll give it to you, even though it's not what you really want. And so Samuel, the prophet, is kind of working through uh, this rejection as he's the last prophet before the kings. He's kind of working through this uh, rejection by the people. Saul, the first king that God anoints, he's kind of working through what that looks like because the nation has never had a king before. And so he's trying to raise an army. He's trying to figure out what government looks like. And so Israel is in this growing pains as a nation. And as this is happening, as they're in kind of turmoil, the Philistine army has been harassing the children of Israel. If you've read your Bible, you know the Philistines are kind of the arch nemesis of the children of Israel. And so they've just started uh, raiding and they've started invading and oppressing and all throughout of this. And so as the children of Israel are trying to figure out what government looks like for them, the Philistines are attacking them and, and they're giving these battle situations and picking on them. And so Israel's trying to push them back at the same time. And so Saul tries to raise this army, but it's not really an army. It's not that great. And so they're kind of being oppressed and not much is going right for them. And then all of a sudden, Saul's son, Jonathan, it says he has a thousand elite troops under his command. And so he takes those troops, his Jonathan takes them, and he conquers a garrison, a small little city outpost with those troops. And so this gives all kinds of hope to the children of Israel. Like, hey, maybe we're going to be free. Maybe this thing is actually going to happen. Maybe God is with us. Maybe this is a thing. And so they conquer that and all Israel hears about it. But all of the Philistines hear about it too. And the Philistines flex, everybody. So they hear about this and they gather every single one of their army together. And the Bible says it's like the sands of the seashore. And that the footmen are all over the Israelite countryside. And so this new army that suddenly had hope suddenly decides, hey, I'm not in this, all right? I'm new to this thing. I'm going home. And so most of the military goes home. Some of them go over to the Philistines. They're like, maybe they'll win. I just want to be on their side. And so there are 600 men left to Saul and Jonathan. And not 600 elite fighting men. These are 600 men who are too scared to even fight, the Bible says. They go and hide in holes in the ground in caves around the countryside. How many want a military like this? They just... Like, it's fallen apart from conquering that outpost, and now they nothing. Nobody's left. They're hiding in the holes, and they, they don't know what to do. And the Philistines have invaded the land. And so here's where we pick up our story. 
So Saul and Jonathan have 600 men left hiding in holes in the ground. The Philistines have invaded. They've set up their outpost in the land. They've set up. The Israelites have no way to react, no way to attack, no way to do anything. It's a desperate situation. So 1 Samuel chapter 14, here's where we start at verse 1, all right? One day, so this is after all of this. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer. So they had someone who would follow the kings around and carry all their stuff. It's like a golf caddy, all right? He would just carry everything that Jonathan needed to hit the ball into the sand. Come on, somebody. So come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And then watch this in verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. And they named them. So here's how it happened. They're hiding in their holes. And then in front of them was a cliff. And then there's this ravine. And then another steep cliff. And then the Philistine outpost on the other side. All right? So you can kind of picture that uh, in your mind. What's going to happen. Watch this in verse 6. He says, Jonathan said to him, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan's proposal is, I know we have 600 men left. I know they're all hiding in the holes. But what about if you and I climb down this ravine, climb up the other one, and attack all the Philistines on by ourselves? Now, if you're thinking this is the worst military plan in history, you're not wrong. There's not some secret plan here that all the rest of us see. All right? This is a bad military plan. This is a bad plan that he's coming up with to the armor bearer. So watch what his armor bearer says to him. He says, Jonathan, no way. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. And so Jonathan said, come on, let's cross over toward them and let's let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come, then we'll stay where we are. and We won't go up to them. So God's not in this thing, all right? So Jonathan has some kind of a plan. It's not a great plan. But if they say, wait there, then we're going to run like little girls. All right, we're going to get out of here. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now, if I'm the armor bearer or I'm Jonathan, I'm saying, like, if they start attacking each other and they run away, that is the sign that God has given them into our hands. All right, not that if they say, come up here. I'm not. But he has, he's braver than I am, apparently. So next verse here. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Like, woo, look, we're over here, right? Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes that they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to them, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. One translation said, come up and we'll show you something. Come on, somebody. I mean, no, you're not going up that hill. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. It shows you how steep this cliff is that he's climbing up. And then his armor bearer right after him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan. So even climbing up with his hands and his feet, he jumps over that ledge with ninja moves or something. And he takes them out. And his armor bearer followed and killed all the ones left behind him. And then watch this. Panic struck the whole army. And those in the camp in the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties and the ground shook. And it was a panic sent by God. And so at the end of all of this, God uses these two guys, these two guys in relationship, these two guys together. God uses it to turn the tide for the entire nation. But I believe that this story doesn't happen except for the characteristics that we see in these two men. Except for the characteristics we see in Jonathan and his armor bearer, this story probably would not be in the Bible. God would have used some different way to free his people. But because they were willing and because they explained and they showed these characteristics... They show up in this Bible. So I'll tell you the end of the story here in just a minute. What I want you to see, though, is the nation of Israel is in a desperate time where they needed God to move. 
where they needed God to do something incredible. And they were oppressed by the Philistines and things are falling apart. And so God uses these two guys to change the tide and to set them on a different path. To change everything for the nation of Israel. Because I can tell you that who is in your life will make or break the story that God has for your life. It will make or break the plans that he has for you. Your future is dependent on your relationships. The Bible said it first. Watch this in Proverbs chapter 13. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And that's the Old Testament. Watch this in 1 Corinthians. It says, don't fool yourselves. Bad friends will destroy you. I can't make it more plain than that, everybody. So don't fool yourself thinking that you'll find everything else in different places except for relationships. Bad friends will destroy you, the people that you choose to surround yourself with. And so I want to spend a few moments talking about the characteristics, things that we should look for in choosing the voices that should have influence on our life. Things that you should look for for the people that you choose to surround yourself. Evaluations you can have as we take this trip about who's going to be in the car. Because each person needs to evaluate who they're allowing to speak into their lives. So the first one, first thing, jot it down if you're taking notes today. First thing you need to have in the people that surround you is they need to challenge your mentality. The people that surround you, your friends, your relationships, they need to be able to challenge your perspective the way that you see the world. Because everybody in this story was hiding. Everybody was in the holes or the cave. Everybody was waiting for something to happen. And so what would have been normal for Jonathan and the armor bearer would have been to climb in the hole next to them, right? To stay hidden, to not take on this crazy endeavor of attacking the army. But I believe that God wants to change the world through you and through I. That he's called us to extraordinary things. But we have to have people in our lives that actually believe that. People that will stretch your mentality, that challenge that, that actually challenge the perspective that we have of average. And I know it's a struggle that we have in today's culture because we celebrate average in today's culture. We, we celebrate average things and mediocrity oftentimes in different pursuits or different competitions. And I know it's just a thing that we do uh, because it's something that we seem to reward. And I know this is my soapbox that I get on every so often. But I was graduating from high school and a buddy of mine called me and he asked me if I wanted to help coach a junior high girls basketball team. And now I've always loved sports and I wanted to try my hand at coaching. And so I said, yeah, that sounds great. I'd be happy to, you know, sounds like a great opportunity. And so we started to do that together and we had three good players and 15, God bless their little basketball loving hearts. Come on, somebody. They just, just something. I don't know. It was, and, and like, I don't know if you know this, but sports in America are corrupt. Like we're in a church league and I'm convinced the other teams were paying their players. Like they were, you know, hiring out and. I'm paying seven foot tall Lithuanian sixth graders to come and play in our basketball league. And it's sixth and seventh grade, right? So we're supposed to be having fun and learning the game. And we're not having fun because we're losing every game by 50. Come on, somebody. I'm going to have a moment right here up on the stage, all right? I'm just going to have a moment like, no, don't stop running, please. The ball is over there. The ball is over here. Please don't put the ball in our basket, right? That's just all I'm asking. Please don't cry. That's all I'm asking. Please don't. Please stop crying. Please don't. Cry. I'm okay with that, all right? I really am, everybody. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the character that it built inside of my heart, that it taught me to love those students who were trying really hard, but who were horrible at basketball, all right? What I'm not okay with is at the end of the year, the Athletic Association bought all of them trophies and presented them to them, not asking the coaches, just presented every single one of them a trophy. Like, here, Susie, I know you didn't come to practice, and I know you threw it in our goal more often than theirs, and I know, you know, you, you cried half the game, but I want you to feel good about yourself. Here's a trophy. Susie didn't need a trophy, everybody. See, Susie needed basketball lessons and a backbone. That's what Susie needed. Come on, I'm alone in that, but I'm gonna, it's the hill I'm going to die on, all right, everybody? 
I'll get off my soapbox today. God's not handing out medals for mediocrity. That's where I'm going today, all right? I'll just leave all that behind. God's not handing out medals for mediocrity. You've got to find some people in your life who are going to challenge the average, and that starts with vision. That starts with vision. Watch this in Proverbs. It says, without vision, the people perish. Without vision. And I'm so tired in this day and age of hearing that we have a generational crisis, that we have a generational divide and a crisis of that and, and how the boomers are doing this or how, you know, the millennials, all of them are like this and all gen, you know, Y, X, all these different things that, that they say about each generation. We don't have a generational crisis. We have a crisis of vision. We have a crisis of vision in our nation because I'm telling you, if you've ever met a millennial, you've met those who are teenagers and in college right now, if you've ever talked with them, they are some of the most incredible, creative, intelligent human beings on the face of the planet. And I am so excited to see what God is going to do through their generation, how God is going to use them to spread the gospel, to build the kingdom. I am so incredibly excited to see that if we can get the right people around them. If we can get the right people speaking into their lives. The problem is a lot of us aren't giving them any more vision than their parents' rec room in a video game. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give it to you straight here at Victory today. You've got to put people around them that will stretch their mentality and say, hey, you were made for more. Hey, you were made to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. Hey, you were meant to change the world, to shape it. We've got to get the right people around them. We have a crisis of vision. Second thing we have to see in this passage is we need people who will stretch us spiritually. Not only stretch our mentality and our perspective, but stretch us spiritually. And I want to show it to you because I love this fact in the story that Jonathan is in this environment. He's in this this friendship with this guy to be able to share his God-sized dream. To be able to share this idea that he has that came from God. And here's the crazy idea. And I think a lot of times this trips us up a little bit in our walk of faith. For most Christians, I think this time trips us up because Jonathan says, hey, why don't we go fight the army all by ourselves, just the two of us? And perhaps, that's literally the word that he uses, perhaps God will help us. Perhaps God will be in this thing. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm saying, if you want me to risk my life, you're going to have to do a whole lot better than perhaps, all right? I'm going to need, like, Jesus himself to appear to you. I need, like, eight thus saith the Lord, some angels to sing. Come on, I, I need some, some stuff to happen here, right? i got to wait till 21 days of prayer to confirm this thing. i got to pray about it. Like, I don't need perhaps in my life, but the problem is a lot of times faith is lived in this realm of perhaps. Faith is lived in this realm of we need God to move because what we're about to do isn't going to cut it. Faith has lived in that, and so many times that trips us up because we want something that we can touch and feel and see. We want to guarantee a success. If I'm going to step out and do something great for God, I want you to guarantee that I'm going to be successful. I want you to guarantee every step that's going to come after this one or else I'm not going to take the first one. So many times we have that come up in our lives. But faith is not lived in that. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. Faith is, faith is not something that we can touch and feel. It is stepping into the unknown and just in our belief, just in our belief in the God who will come through. Because I'm really putting myself out there, and I think so many times we get disconnected from the people of faith in the Bible. Because we read the end of the story just a few pages later, and so we, we don't really connect with the step of faith that they actually had to take. Because you hear about it and you read about Noah and you think, well, yeah, it's just Noah. He built the ark and saved mankind. And that's really great. I'm really happy for Noah. But if you really think about it, Noah starts to build this boat out in the middle of nowhere. It starts to tell people, hey, rain is going to come. So incredible rain that it's going to kill everyone else on the planet. And not only that, Noah's not just building on something that they knew about. It had never rained on earth ever to that point. 
So he couldn't even be like, hey, remember the last time it rained? It's just going to be even worse this time. Like, that would have been a hard enough sell on its own. Not for us in Louisiana. We could have said, you know, remember the last time it rained? Everybody could believe that it's going to, you know, rain and flood the whole earth. But Noah's telling these people who had never seen it, he's like, yeah, water's going to fall from the sky, and it's going to flood the whole earth. And you've never seen that before. This is a hard sell. But not only that, he starts to build this boat for over 100 years. He starts to take this step of faith and continue to preach. That is a step of faith that sometimes we don't connect with. Over a hundred years of Noah taking the ridicule and beginning to say, no, God spoke to me. This is what's going to happen. And then he's like collecting animals and putting them on the ark. This is a step of faith that Noah takes. Or you read about Moses, how God calls him, go and stand before Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him, let my people go. Let this whole labor force that Egypt had, let them go. And so Moses has to go back to this place where he's known as a murderer He has to go back to this place that he fled from 40 years before. And he has to go back and stand before the greatest ruler on the face of the planet and tell him, let my people go. And not only just that, God tells him, hey, when you're in front of Pharaoh, do the snake thing with your staff that you're holding. Go ahead and just, you know, do that too. Throw that in there. And so Moses has to stand before the ruler of the world, the, the ruler at that time of Egypt. He has to stand before him and he has to throw his staff down. He has to drop the stick. Now, we disconnect from that moment of faith because Moses didn't have this like snake button on the staff, right? He couldn't just press it like snake, like just turn it. God had to do that. Moses's activity in this started and ended with dropping the stick. Can you imagine if it did not turn into a snake? Like what Moses looks like, like he just throws it down and like, wait, wait for it. Wait to that. I'm going to hit you with it next time. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, like Moses, that's a step of faith that he has to take. And so many times we are called to take steps of faith. But we want to read the story. We want to read our story before it ever happens, before we ever take that step. And I think so many times we don't want to take the step because we're too connected with all the things that we think are impossible in life. We've connected ourselves too closely with the impossible. Now, there are things in life that are impossible. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 19. He said, with man... It isn't possible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. And so you got to have some people in your life that believe that. We're talking about people in your life that we choose who influence. you got to have people in your life that believe with God all things are possible, that can talk to you, hey, you have to take this step. I know it's scary, and I know that it's not, but it's what God is calling you to do. And so you have to take that step. You have to step out in faith. You have people who stretch you spiritually. Because some of us today, we have a step that we need to take. Some of us today know it very clearly. Some of us are just coming into the realization of what God is calling us to do. We know there is a step of faith that we're supposed to take. So we have to surround ourselves with people who believe that. People who really believe that God can do the impossible. That God can do what he has called you to do in your life. Number three, jot it down if you're taking notes today. You need people in your life that will support you wholeheartedly. Not only stretch your mentality, not only stretch you spiritually, but will support you wholeheartedly. People that will support you. Now, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about when you're going to go key his car and all your girlfriends are like, yeah, we're with you heart and soul, right? We're going we're gonna to bring the bats and we're going to... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who can recognize the God-shaped dream in your life and support you in it. The people who can see that. People who have the vision to know, hey, this is what God is calling you to do and I support you wholeheartedly. That's what I love about the armor bearer in this story. They don't name him. I I love this guy. Because he says to Jonathan, do what's in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. 
Now, Jonathan wouldn't have this story in Scripture if the armor bearer hadn't been with him, heart and soul. Now, in my holy imagination, this is just my imagination, I want to think, because this is how I would pray, that when Jonathan heard this word from God and he said, okay, I'm going to need somebody to help me accomplish this, that he probably said, went to his armor bearer and said, hey, here's what God has told me. And he was hoping that his buddy would say no, right? Because that lets Jonathan off the hook. That's how I would pray. Lord, I wanted to do it, but he wasn't he wouldn't along with the plan. So, you know, I guess I'm off the hook and have to do it. The armor bearer is like, no, I'm with your heart and soul, baby. We're going to do this thing. And then Jonathan's like, okay, <laughs> now we have to do it, right? Now let's just have a, that's when he comes up with that little bit of a plan. But you have to have this guy that's 100% believes and is willing to jump in. I love this armor bearer. I'm telling you, you've got to have people like this in your life. People that I'm with you heart and soul. I'm with you in what God has called you to do. And I think, honestly, a lot of us have to value ourselves a little bit higher than we do right now. Because a whole lot of us are allowing people to speak into our lives who have no faith in your potential. A lot of you are allowing people to speak into your life who have no faith in the God-sized dream that God has given you. And so a lot of times in your life, you might have to cut out some people whose voice is no longer allowed to influence you. I know sometimes we struggle with that and you might be thinking, well, I don't know if that's biblical or not. I know it sounds harsh, but if you're struggling with that, just remember when Jesus is going to heal Jairus's daughter in the New Testament, when he's headed there, he's going to raise this girl back from the dead. When he's headed there to heal her, he looks at his own team and he says, okay, you're coming, and Peter, you come with me, and Judas, not you. We'll talk about that later, right? And he said, you're coming with me, and you're coming. And he picks the ones because even then Jesus realized how important it was to have those who believe present in the moment, to have those around him. And let me also say that if you have people in your life or you're going to be this type of a person for someone else, it's always going to require a sacrifice on your part. It's always going to require something of you because honestly, I believe that we don't have as many deep relationships as we should because it requires a sacrifice, because it requires something of us. It requires laying down maybe something of our own so we can see the vision God's placed in someone else's life come to pass. It requires something of us. There's a sacrifice. And the sacrifice for the armor bearer that day is a big one. It's probably not what you would expect. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. This is the precursor to the war that we're talking about. Verse 19, there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. Watch this in the next verse, 22. So on the day of the battle, the battle we're talking about, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. None of them. And so when the armor bearer hears Jonathan say, we're going to attack them all by themselves, he's like, all right, baby, I'm with you. Ali's got nothing on me, heart and soul. Like he didn't even have a weapon. That is insane. But he tells Jonathan, I'm with you. This is what God's put in your heart. I'm coming out after you. I'll carry your sword all the way to the top, baby. But then at the end of it, whatever I have, I'm in it with you. And so he attacks with him. He believes in him wholeheartedly. We have to have people in our lives like that. They don't have to be the most perfect people, the most skilled, the most qualified. But they do have to be with you in what God has called you to do. They have to support you wholeheartedly. They have to believe and be ready to be there for you and you for them as well. Those are the relationships God has called us to. This story would not be in the Bible if Jonathan hadn't had the armor bearer. God's designed us intentionally to live in relationship. And so we have to realize the reality that we have to have people who are with us and for us wholeheartedly. And then number four, jot it down if you've taken notes. You have to have people who can propel you supernaturally. Because when you have people who stretch your faith and who stretch you spiritually and cause you to grow and who are with you wholeheartedly, when you have those people supporting you, you'll find yourself going further than you ever dreamed possible. There's an old saying that says, if you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. 
that we are called to be in relationship. And it's what's so amazing about this story in the Bible that God uses these two guys to conquer an entire army. That God uses these two friends to go and take on the entire Philistine outpost and then wreak havoc and panic. That God moves in the panic and shakes the ground and causes the entire army. Because watch this now in verse 16, back to our text. Saul's lookout, so this is the king again in Gibeah, saw a strange sight, the vast army of Philistines beginning to melt away in every direction. And then Saul and all his men rushed out. I like how it says rushed out. They came out of the holes in the ground to the battle. And they found the Philistines killing and attacking each other. And there was confusion everywhere. And even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistines came back to the army. And those who had gone home came back revolted. And they joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. And the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. How many are in that verse? Come on, somebody. And so the Lord saved Israel that day. But the Lord saved Israel that day. We got to have that kind of mentality in the friends that we put around us. That God has called us to incredible things. That God has called us to some brave acts, but uh, brave acts of faith. But I honestly believe that it doesn't happen in isolation where we begin to turn relationships away. We have to get into these godly relationships that believe in the calling God has for us. Because God's ready to do some incredible things. God's ready to do what we cannot do. They couldn't shake the ground. They couldn't cause the panic. They could only do what God had called them to, and they could only do that because they were in relationship. That Jonathan had been called to that. And these things that God has called us to do, these words that he's put, we cannot do them on our own. That God has to be in it in the relationship. You need these people in your life. And we've got a brand new semester of small groups starting at the end of the 21 days of prayer. And it may be digital in some areas. It may look different. Everything looks different in this season. But it's still no excuse to give up on relationships. We can never use it as an excuse to give up on the relationships that we're in. There's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be things that try to stand in the way of the step God has called us to take. But if we'll get in relationships, you'll start to find people who have these characteristics. You'll start to find people who have these things that they begin to support you, begin to come around you in godly relationships. And you'll find yourself going further than you ever dreamed possible in the dream God has for your life. Bow your heads with me this morning as we pray and as we close. Father, I thank you for relationships. God, I thank you for the godly people you put into our lives that can speak influence into it, that can support us wholeheartedly in what you've called us to do. I thank you that they stretch our faith, that they build us spiritually, God. So, Lord, I thank you again that we can find those people. And, Lord, give us the strength, if we need to, God, to cut out those voices that don't support the dream you have for us. To not allow them to influence us any longer. And I just want to pray a prayer over the entire congregation today. Right before I do that though. You may be here today or you may be watching online. And you're far from God. And it may be because you were hurt in a relationship in the past. Maybe a friendship that burned you. Or maybe a spouse that hurt you. Or something that hurt And so you started to push people away. And eventually you even pushed God away. I want you to know that God's not mad at you for whatever it is that you've run to. God's not mad at you for the mistakes that you've made. He's not looking to get even with you today. He wants to rescue you and he wants to free you. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And so if you're here today and you say, I want to get my relationships right. I want to have those type of godly relationships. I want you to know that it all starts with your relationship with Jesus. That that is the catalyst from which all of the other ones flow.
and that God is calling you back to him. And I just want you to know that he loves you. You don't have to get your act together to get to God. You get to God and then he helps you get your act together. That God is calling you and he loves you and he wants you. And so if that's you today, if you feel that tugging on your heart, that you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you today that you can fix that relationship before we leave. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer. The church will pray it with you. But you have to say it and you have to mean the words in your own heart. So come on, church, let's pray with those. If you want to pray that prayer today, just say, Dear Jesus, forgive me for all my sins, for all my mistakes. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose to set me free. Say these words, I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, Father, I thank you so much for this congregation, Lord. For all of our church watching online, in the building today, wherever we are, God, I thank you, Father, for the relationships that we can join in together. I pray for this new season as we enter into of small groups of 21 days of prayer, that your presence be upon it. That you help us to find those who can speak godly influence into our lives. You help us to find those who can stretch us spiritually, those who can build our faith. God, show us those in our lives who can just support us wholeheartedly. I thank you, Father, for the relationship that you're going to build. That we can fulfill the dream you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that then you'll do the supernatural. You'll do what only you can do, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, and we'll give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Can we put our hands together for what God has done today?